Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Boil the Frog Slowly, a radio program that goes where corporate media stops, where each week we ask the questions, are politics hazardous to your health? Are the decisions and incremental changes being made by government and industry creating health problems? What are they? Why don't you know about them? What can you do about it? Not only do we ask the questions, we furnish answers with unparalleled documentation, research, studies, and guests from around the globe with proof that unequivocally show that, yes, politics are hazardous to your health, and you had better be informed before it's too late. Boil the frog slowly. A cute name? No. It's what's happening right now to you and me and the rest of the world as we placidly float in a slowly simmering pot of subtle changes. And those who hold the recipe to this agenda count on the fact that we won't notice the heat until we're sufficiently boiled, unable to resist. I'm Pat. And I'm Sebastian. And today we're stirring the pot. Thanks for joining us. All right, Sebastian, we have one of the best guests ever. This is really going to be good. <laughs> All right. Let me introduce him. David O. Carpenter, MD, is a public health physician, educated at Harvard Medical School. His current title is Director of the Institute for Health and the Environment at the University of Albany and Professor of Environmental Health Sciences within the School of Public Health. Formerly, he was the Dean of the School of Public Health at the University of Albany and the Director of the Wadsworth Center for Laboratories and Research of the New York State Department of Health. David served as the Executive Secretary to the New York State Power Lines Project in the 1980s, a program of research that showed children living in homes with elevated magnetic fields coming from power lines suffered from an increased risk of developing leukemia. After this, he became the spokesperson on electromagnetic field issues and has published several reviews on the subject and has edited two books. You may recognize David Carpenter's name as he is a co-editor and a contributing author of the Bioinitiative Report, which you can find at bioinitiative.org. This report documents the negative health effects and public health conclusions about impacts of electromagnetic radiation and radio frequencies. The public health chapter from this report was subsequently published in a peer-reviewed journal. 
In addition, in 2009, he was invited to present to the President's Cancer Panel on the subject of power line and radio frequency fields in cancer and has testified on this issue before the United States House of Representatives. So much more, and it is an honor and a pleasure to speak with you today. So welcome to the show, David. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to dig right in. By now, most of our listeners recognize that these man-made frequencies are damaging to our health. However, the media promotes the notion that the scientific studies are inconsistent and inconclusive and that wireless everything is perfectly safe. So the question we want to start out with today is why the struggle to expose the truth? Well, I think there are multiple reasons. Uh, in the first place, most people enjoy the convenience of wireless technology. We like our electricity, and we don't really want to think of there being dangers associated with them. Uh, you also have a very powerful industry that makes a lot of money by promoting new devices that use wireless technology, and they certainly don't want their product declared dangerous. And uh, then the, the issue is that regulation is normally done at the level of the political entities that work for governments, international, federal, state. And politicians uh, depend on contributions from industry to keep their campaigns alive, and most citizens don't either contribute very much or have much influence. And so there's a disincentive for uh, what I think is really critical here, that there be political acknowledgement by agencies that have regulatory responsibility that, yes, these are are very convenient technologies, but in excess they pose significant health hazards. With uh, with your little bio that Pat read, it said you pre actually presented before a uh, presidential cancer panel and the House of Representatives. I'm just curious, c can we hear from you why it seems they they have not really paid any attention to your warnings? Well, it was interesting. Uh, the uh, the presentation of the House of Representatives was uh, a panel that was assembled by, I'm blocking on his name right now, the representative from Ohio who subsequently resigned from the House. But that doesn't really matter. The, the issue was that uh, while I was presenting, while there were some uh, consumer advocates presenting, there were also presentations from the National Cancer Panel. And they basically dismissed the the evidence is being inconclusive. When I presented at the President's Cancer Panel, there was also a representative from the National Cancer Institute that that tried to contradict everything I said. Now, in fact, we really didn't contradict each other. We we described the evidence as it is that in the case of uh, power line fields, there is a significant body of evidence that consistently shows elevations in rates of childhood leukemia if children live in homes with high magnetic fields coming from the household electricity, that there is a consistent finding of elevated adult leukemia and less, less confident uh, brain cancer in adults that work in occupations where they're exposed to elevated magnetic fields, and that in the case of the radio frequency fields, there's strong evidence that individuals that hold cell phones to the ear and use them intensively for long periods of time, usually 10 years or more, have an elevated risk of brain cancer. Now, the explanations for people discounting this evidence, there, there are really two forms. One is that you don't have clear evidence that 
exposure to electromagnetic fields causes cancer in animals. And that's true. I agree that there is no strong evidence that these fields cause cancer in animals. But what the hell? We have evidence that they do in people. And there is a variety of uh, evidence that shows that animal bodies, because of their size and the fact they're four-legged, they don't respond to electromagnetic fields in the same way people do. So I dismiss that as, as being really irrelevant. Then, then the, the second reason that the National Cancer Institute and other bodies uh, minimize the significance of the observations is that we do not know exactly what the mechanism is whereby these relatively low-energy fields can cause cancer. But again, that argument doesn't hold any water. We don't know the mechanism whereby arsenic causes cancer. We don't know why dioxins cause cancer. We know a lot about different changes that occur when someone is exposed to those substances. We know a lot about the changes that occur in the human body when someone is exposed to electromagnetic fields. But, uh, and, and it's, it's certainly true that these are probably not directly mutagenic carcinogens like some things like ionizing radiation is. But we accept these other chemical exposures as being known human carcinogens, and yet because of the extraneous influences, uh, most national and international bodies do not come out strongly saying that excessive exposure to electromagnetic fields poses risk to human health. And it, it just seems like the industry has has sort of created a propaganda campaign to confuse the public to try to try to flood the ether with uh, with misinformation and manufactured uh, studies. For example, just when I googled your name today, I googled your name with the Bioinitiative Report. The first thing to come up at the very top of the list is an article called Picking Cherries in Science, the Bioinitiative Report. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, why do they have to put that right at the top of the list? And then from there, it, it, it just it, it spreads out to other websites that are just loaded with propaganda, all you know, saying that this exposure is safe. Uh, they even put uh, six professors from Trent University, which is the same university as Dr. Magda Havas, uh, signing a statement that Wi-Fi is safe in schools. Um, so this is what you get when you search for this information, and all it does is confuse people. It, it's just a shame that uh, such confusion is kind of like they're wargaming the science. In fact, that's the term used in, in the famous Motorola memo in 1994. Um, what can you say about the wargaming, the science, and uh, is there any hope of uh, really bringing the truth out? Well, you know, uh, it's very reminiscent of what happened with cigarette smoking and lung cancer ages ago. Uh, in the 1930s, the bad Nazis provided absolutely definitive evidence that smoking caused lung cancer. Uh, in the U.S., nothing was done to warn people about the dangers of smoking until, what, the mid-60s. And part of the reason was that a lot of the physicians in the American Medical Association, a lot of the faculty at the National Cancer Institute, number one, they all smoked. Number two, they many of them had money in the industry. And they didn't want to believe it. You know, today we certainly accept as, as proof insofar as one can ever prove in biology and medicine 
that uh, smoking causes not only lung cancer but all kinds of other diseases. But it does take a long period of time. The issue on the electromagnetic fields, and I'm certainly not someone that says we have the answer to every question. We do not. There are a lot of things that need to be understood better. But I also come at the question from a public health point of view, and that's somewhat different from some of these other people's perspective. The United Nations at the real conference a number of years ago developed the concept of the precautionary principle. And the precautionary principle basically says when you have evidence for human harm, but it's not 100% complete, which rarely is anything 100% complete in, in medicine, you don't wait till you can count all the bodies before you take reasonable steps to reduce exposure. And I see this as being very relevant to the issue of of Wi-Fi in schools, of use of cell phones, of smart meters, of uh, even household electricity. We have strong evidence that at least with excessive exposure, there is harm. We all value these things. They're wonderful conveniences. And uh, we don't really know to what degree uh, a reasonable use, uh, since clearly everyone is exposed. Uh, you know, if you don't have Wi-Fi in your house and you don't have a cell phone, you're still exposed to radio frequency radiation because there's a cell tower on every street corner. Uh, if you can receive Sirius on your satellite radio, how do you think that's transmitted to radio frequency radiation? So we are all exposed. And when you do studies, there's no unexposed population. What we can do is to compare the health of people that are more exposed to the people that are less exposed. And when we do that, we find that the people that are more exposed have more of a variety of diseases, especially cancer. You know, you're talking about exposure. I made a note before you came on, thinking about smart meters, because there is a serious difference between an exposure which an individual chooses to accept, such as deciding to use a cell phone or Wi-Fi, and one of that is forced on people, such as the smart meter. So again, talking about exposure, those that do recognize the precautionary principle we're unable to even follow that that idea because now we've got mandatory radiation coming from our smart meters on our homes. How do we take care of that? That is a very real problem, and uh, the the smart meter battle is being fought all over the world right now. The issue is a very real one, that it's one thing to knowingly accept the risk. For example, almost every smoker knows that smoking is dangerous. Unfortunately, uh, nicotine is an addictive substance, and many of the people, even if they want to, can't can't stop smoking. <laughs> that leads to the new danger there, which is the e-cigarettes, which may take away the carcinogens, but it's uh, it's making a whole new generation of people addicted to nicotine. Now, uh, you know, society usually says that uh, it's it's less acceptable to be exposed to a hazard that that you don't agree to than one that you choose to be exposed to. But at the same time, both with initiatives from our federal government and from many state governments, or at least acquiescence to the will of the communications industry, smart meters are being put on people's homes without their permission. Now, this is just the tip of the iceberg, because at the same time, appliance manufacturers are putting these ZB drives 
in almost every appliance that you have in your home, your dishwasher, your refrigerator, your clothes dryer. And these are devices that are going to communicate to the smart meter when they're activated, and apparently they're not activated yet. But they will communicate to the smart meter that will uh, uh, allow somebody in the utility to know how much electricity your clothes dryer is using. And at some point in time, rates are going to be set so that it costs more to dry your clothes at 6 in the afternoon than it does at 3 in the morning. And that the utility will have the power to prevent you from activating your clothes dryer if there's a uh, run on electricity in danger of shortages. What's going to happen when this is fully activated is that people's kitchen, people's laundry room are going to be hotbeds of radio frequency radiation exposure and that this is going to also be done without the permission of the individual. Wow. And this has really all come about uh, with our federal government never really, to my knowledge, acknowledging that there's any hazard to the radiation itself. And what I wanted to bring up to, to, to your attention, David, is the recent uh, letter written by the Department of the Interior to the FCC. Um, this letter was just uh, shocking to me because whoever wrote this letter in the Department of the Interior actually acknowledged hazards of cell tower radiation and how it affects bird migration, uh, it cited feathers falling out, birds being disoriented, uh, having reproductive issues. Um, to my knowledge, that was the first official federal acknowledgement of any hazard at all to the radiation itself. Um, I wonder if you could comment on that. Well, I think that's a very important document. And it's, uh, to some degree, to, me, to my mind, uh, a little bit uh, unfortunate that the first acknowledgement comes on these wildlife effects when we have so much evidence of hazards in people. Uh, now, I think that, you know, if you look back at what the governments have said over the years, it hasn't been all denial of there being effects. Uh, there was this program run by the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences a number of years ago that uh, were in the introduction, the director of the institute said that there is clear evidence that children that live in homes with high magnetic fields have elevated risk of cancer. But then it went on to say, but you know, there are these things we don't understand. We don't understand why you don't have cancer in animals. We don't know precisely the mechanism. And the whole report got watered down in spite of the acknowledgement that there was this statistically significant association with cancer in children. You can't really have it both ways. Either something is hazardous or it's not hazardous. Uh, you know, you know, if it is hazardous, the question is, what do you do? Uh, I like the the concept that was developed a number of years ago by people at Carnegie Mellon University, which basically said, you know, there are three things you can do. Number one, you can do nothing, and that's really not appropriate here. Number two, you can impose very strict regulation to reduce exposure. And that probably is a bit extreme uh, because there are things we don't know. We don't know what the threshold, what the boundary is between dangerous and non-dangerous. And we have to evaluate economic impacts and uh, balance uh, that against the adverse health effects. But the intermediate uh, 
stage that they proposed was what they called prudent avoidance, uh, which is actually very similar to the precautionary principle. And the concept is when you have evidence for harm, but you still want to use something that's good, then use common sense. Uh, reduce your exposure to the degree you can without totally disrupting your lifestyle, uh, without undergoing enormous expense. And in the case of both power line and radiofrequency radiation, there's so many very straightforward and, and not very disruptive things you can do. Use, if you're going to use your cell phone and everybody values a cell phone, use a wired earpiece and don't hold the cell phone on your body. You don't have to have the cell phone far removed from your body to have almost no exposure from the radio frequency radiation coming from the cell phone. Now, you're still going to get the radiation coming from the cell tower, from uh, Wi-Fi if it's around, from smart meters if you're near a smart meter, but you can reduce your exposure to the radio frequency radiation. And this leads me to some discussion about Wi-Fi in schools. You know, every kid should have access to the Internet. It's incredibly important. And uh, it, it's important that, that kids use that tool for learning. But you don't have to have a wireless connection to have all the access to the Internet that anyone would want. A wired computer does not generate radio frequency radiation. Now, if you have a wireless computer classroom, which many schools have now, you are going to have, let's say you have 20 students in a room, you have uh, one massive router at the top of the room, uh, each of the laptops is computing with the router, you're going to have a hotbed of radio frequency radiation. Now, you know, the cancers that develop from exposure to radio frequency radiation, for that matter, to power line radiation, have a long latency. Usually, brain cancer is known to have a latency of 20 or 30 years from exposure to things like ionizing radiation. And those children are not going to be developing brain cancer in the two or three years that they're sitting in a classroom that has Wi-Fi computer facilities, what's going to happen 20 years from now? Uh, we are seeing elevations in rates of brain cancer, but all this exposure hasn't been around very long. The, eleva the elevations in brain cancer seen in cell phone users for adults, you only really see the elevation after about 10 years of use. Now, for children, it appears to be a shorter period of time than that. It appears that the uh, younger brain is more vulnerable than the older brain, which is uh, younger people are more vulnerable to a variety of toxic insults than older people are, just because their bodies are growing and developing. But, uh, you know, you don't have to have a Wi-Fi classroom. You can have a wired classroom. It may not be as flexible, but in the long term it's going to be much safer. You don't have to have a wired smart meter. You can have a smart meter, a wireless smart meter, I meant. You can have a, wire, a wired smart meter that's not, that's going to communicate with the utility, but is not going to generate excessive radio frequency radiation. My concern is all of this secondhand exposure, though. 
So you try to employ the precautionary principle and prudent avoidance in your daily life, but you go to the doctor's office, you go to the hospital, you go to the library, you go shopping. I mean, as soon as you leave your home, you are completely bombarded. I was at the doctor's office with my mom yesterday and we're at seven volts per meter in the waiting room. Uh, we're in the radiology department, the same thing. The lab department, my daughter just had a baby and they had the RFID chip on her. And again, you can't even go visit someone in, in a situation like that. So yeah, while the precautionary principle and, and prudent avoidance is at least a start, for me, the irritation is this mandatory exposure that we, we can't get away from. Well, you're absolutely right. Now, let's talk a little bit about electrohypersensitivity because th there are some people that are unusually sensitive to these fields, both the power line field and the radio frequency field. And those people, they're the canaries in the gold, uh, cold mine because those people become ill when they're in the presence of these electromagnetic fields. And some of these people are so very sensitive that they they basically can't even live in cities. We have cell towers on just about every tall building. Uh, you know, to find a place in in the whole country where there isn't a cell tower, if you can use your cell phone, there's a cell tower that's radiating radio frequency radiation. Uh, well, there is growing evidence that the percentage of the population that have these syndromes of hypersensitivity is increasing. And I've had uh, several occasions to meet people and talk with people who had uh, a, a high exposure event that left them for many years after that very sensitive to uh, electromagnetic fields. The symptoms are headaches, nausea, vomiting, a sense of fatigue, uh, a sense of mental disability. They just don't feel as bright as they were. They have no energy. They have ringing in the ears. And uh, this is, of course, it, it doesn't involve everybody. There's some estimations that it's between 3 and 5% of the population now. And some people have estimated that with this increasing exposure that you can't avoid, that percentage of the population is going to grow. So I, I totally agree with the, the concern that uh, electromagnetic fields are so prominent in our environment that it's almost impossible to escape them completely. And we don't know what those background, even if you take all the precautions you can in your own life, we don't know the degree to which those background exposures you can't control contribute to ill health, but it is a, a, a concern. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, thank you for sharing that, uh, David. I, I am one of those canaries in the coal mine myself. And uh, boy, have I been an, on an odyssey this last three years. I have all of the symptoms you just mentioned. Um, and one thing I'd like to, to share with you that I've personally been experiencing is uh, with the electrical system. Um, I have had to rewire my entire home. I've had to move my electrical service off my home and on the other side of the garage, which is farther away from my living space. And I've had to rewire the home with uh, MC cable and uh, make sure the grounding system is really good because you can't have enough grounding. Um, but now what I'm battling is RF traveling on the wires. And uh, Pat's having that in her own home. I've also been seeing it in other people's homes that I've uh, investigated and it seems to be increasing. So this RF traveling on the power line seems to be a serious concern. Have you had any experience with that? I haven't had as much experience uh, with that as with, with other forms of RF, but I know that it is the case that almost every power line has RF uh, on the line. And there is now the developing technology where power lines may be used for radio frequency transmission. Uh, so I think this is going to be a growing concern as that techno technology evolves and develops. You know, there, there still is a, a poor understanding of what component of the electromagnetic fields really poses the greatest danger to human health. There are... Uh, low-frequency components on most RF signals. They're called modulating frequencies. And there are RF signals on most power line frequencies. Now, uh, some are now beginning to hypothesize, without a lot of proof yet, that what's really important are sudden large changes. Uh, and this comes back to the issue of smart meters. Uh, smart meters generate very high intensity but very brief pulses. And they do not do so continuously, but they may do it 5,000 times a day, something like that. But they're very high intensity pulses. And there seem to be uh, more reports of people responding with poor health around smart meters than most other sources of exposure where the aggregate intensity uh, is perhaps even greater than that you'd get from smart meters. But there seems to be something uniquely bad about smart meters. And, you know, my hypothesis is that it's these high-intensity pulses. And that would be consistent with when you have radio frequency pulses coming over a power line, that that might cause uh, elevated risk of disease including electrohypersensitivity. But again, we don't really, you know, the problem is how do you study this? None of us are ever exposed to only one frequency or one source. In our daily life, we go in and out of places that have power line frequencies, that have radio frequencies of different intensities, different sources. 
uh, different waveforms. And uh, the diseases that result, you know, they don't occur immediately. They have long latencies. So it's very difficult to sort through uh, which particular uh, component is bad. And then normally we could use animal models, if it's a chemical, to try to answer some of these questions. But as I said earlier, animals don't respond like people do. And so that is a limitation. There are uh, a new study coming out almost every other week showing that there's reduction in sperm counts in animals right. exposed to radiofrequency radiation. Uh, and I think there the evidence in animals is, is even stronger than it is in humans, although it's very strong in humans as well. Uh, men that wear their cell phone in the on mode on their belt or in their pocket uh, are, are finding an inexpensive method of birth control, although I'm not sure in the long term that it's inexpensive. But there's, in, in that case, with that outcome, animals are a good model. There have been many studies done on isolated cells and uh, effects on other organ systems. The difference seems to be with cancer. And in terms of cancer, there have been a number of studies of animals exposed to radiofrequency fields and power line fields that are clearly demonstrated to cause cancer in humans, but uh, cancer does not seem to be an outcome in the animals. I mean, obviously, we're kind of focusing on cancer here. I mean, there's obviously a, a hundred other symptoms that are caused by these exposures, but um, the government seems to be dwelling on cancer like it's the only thing we need to worry about for stopping this technology. But um, when... When you look at the statistics for cancer, obviously a lot of uh, decisions are based on that. What about all the benign tumors that are uh, epidemically on the rise? Um, I, just in my own life, uh, the people around me and talking, it's unbelievable the amount of people that are going and having benign tumors pull out of their bodies. And ironically, it just happens to be near where they are holding their wireless devices. So... If the radiation is uh, causing these benign tumor growths, isn't that factored in somewhere in in the considerations uh, of science on on how this radiation is is uh, promoting tumor growth, whether it be benign or cancerous? Well, it should be, but the reality is, I think there's not been very much attention to benign tumors. Now, the exception to that would be the acoustic neuroma. Uh, acoustic neuromas are, are tumors of the auditory nerve, and they're not cancers, but they are located within the bony skull, so they, they cause symptoms, and the symptoms include loss of hearing. Uh, very good evidence that acoustic neuroma is, uh, like brain cancer, uh, a, a tumor whose uh, for the risk for which is increased if you hold a cell phone to your ear for long periods of time. Uh, and so I, I think that that provides good evidence that it doesn't have to be only, it isn't only the, the cancerous uh, tumors, but the benign tumors, which are abnormal growths, also are increased. Uh, after exposure to, in this case, radio frequency fields. Yeah, and it, it, 
cancer cells are completely unpredictable and uh, you never know when something benign could turn into something cancerous. So it's, it's obviously something that shouldn't be taken lightly, right? Oh, absolutely right. Uh, you know, benign tumors are at, 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 the, at the least disfiguring and at the worst they can be uh, like many of the brain tumors that are not true cancers but they grow in the skull, which is a finite space, and, and uh, cause disease that way, uh, just like the acoustic neuroma. Well, talking about acoustic neuroma, I was just reading that in August of 2013, then the FCC came out and changed the definition of the upper ear to call it an extremity so that now the SAR ratings could be higher. So now you start to connect some dots, and then the FCC jumps in and says, okay, now your ear, the upper portion of the ear, is no longer, you know, part of your head. It's an extremity. Again, we've got these governing bodies that clearly aren't looking after the truth, or for that matter, for our our, our well-being. Well, that's absolutely right. And, and, you know, something that says your ear is not part of your body is just ludicrous. Uh, uh, Cindy Sage and I did go to meet with people at the FCC uh, a couple of years ago. They, the problem with the FCC is they don't have any expertise in biology or medicine. They're primarily uh, engineers and, and technical people, and they acknowledge they don't have any expertise in biology or medicine. And yet, they are the ones that are making all of the decisions that, that uh, determine what levels what uh, SAR, SAR, specific absorption rate, is uh, is allowed and appropriate. Now, it, it's very telling. I was involved in uh, the activities in the state of Maine to have warnings put on cell phones, that, like those on cigarette packs, that excessive use might increase the risk of brain cancer. And I didn't realize until those proceedings that if you look in the fine print in the manual for almost every cell phone, there'll be instructions that you should never hold it right to your head. You should hold it at various distances, but it's basically, say, you hold your cell phone an inch away from your skull. And and the implication is that if you hold it any closer, you're going to suffer ill harm. Now, it probably is a ruse in order to uh, reduce the risk of litigation from the cell phone company when you get your brain cancer. But it, it is clearly an indicator that the companies understand that holding the cell phone to your head for long periods of time poses a risk of increasing cancer. Right, and you combine that with Lloyd's of London and A&M Best and all these insurers that won't insure the industry. I mean, we as a population should be able to connect those dots and say, okay, this is not a safe device to be using. Absolutely right. Another thing uh, of of recent note uh, that I'd like to bring to your attention is uh, a recent press release that Pat and I were just reviewing uh, yesterday. Um, It's about the, um, the annual Brain Tumor Association conference held at Chicago, and I believe it was just a week ago, a week or two, and um, it it was talking about the keynote speaker who is a native of our hometown here in Cleveland. Uh, it, the uh, the speaker was a professor at the Case uh, Western University School of Medicine, and the uh, press release was talking about their statements of of importance at this annual conference, and. 
one thing uh, that Pat and I just could not believe was how this individual uh, kept referencing, quote, recent studies, end quote, uh, that do not show any uh, reason for concern for cell phone use of children or adults. And they specifically said that you have no reason to be concerned about any of your child's prior or current cell phone use. Recent studies do not uh, indicate there's any reason for concern. Now, here you have a top-level Case Western School of Medicine official is a keynote speaker at this annual Tumor Association conference telling people that recent studies show children have no reason to be concerned about using their cell phones. Now, it's my understanding that all of these big studies, when they say recent, I'm assuming they mean the MTHR study uh, funded by the telecom industry and the British government or some of the prior big ones like Interphone. Isn't it true, uh, David, that these big studies uh, that all these uh, proponents of the industry point to never really actually addressed the safety of children in their studies? Well, that certainly is true. And uh, now there, the, the studies on children, I believe there are really two that are important, and I'm not recalling the, the author of the second one. But the, the studies by Hardell and his associates in Sweden showed that children, if they're under 20 years of age, when they begin to use their cell phone, are at more than five-fold greater risk of developing a brain tumor than if they're in the 20 to 40 age and after 40 or 50, whatever age it was, the risk goes down uh, as you get older. Very clear evidence. Now, there has been one study, I believe from the UK, sense that did not find an elevated rate of brain cancer in children. But uh, science and medicine are like that. Not every study gives exactly the same result. You look in different populations, you have different degrees of accuracy of assessment of exposure, and then there's this critical issue of who funded the study. Yep. Thank you, you can always get a negative result if you design the study to get a negative result. And if the telecom industry is funding the study, you can be damn sure they don't want a positive result. Thank you, David. Yep. Yeah, I, so, uh, I think when, when the public reads these statements, and certainly it's outrageous for a physician who probably doesn't know the literature and hasn't dealt with it in depth, to make a statement like that is just unethical, totally unacceptable, because it's a lie. Thank you. Uh, and this is why it's so important to look at the weight of evidence on these issues. Uh, it Again, look back at smoking and lung cancer. There have been many studies on things we know now to be very dangerous that did not find that danger. And how can you get a, a, a false result? Well, you can have too small a population. That's a start. You can have inadequate access, uh, assessment of exposure. An assessment of exposure for electromagnetic fields is very complicated, as, as we've already said. Uh, each of us in our daily life go in and out of these fields, and none of us are wearing a, a meter that would monitor our exposure continuously. So uh, who remembers how many hours you spent on your cell phone 10 years ago? I didn't have a cell phone 10 years ago. 
I, I have a cell phone now, but I don't know my own number, so it's never turned on <laughs> unless I'm expecting someone to give me a call. But I use it to call out when I'm traveling and need to, and I use it for checking my email when I'm traveling. So um, um, another example of how you can have access to modern technology without uh, overdoing the use of it. But uh, this is a real problem. And if you want to get a negative result, you can get a negative result by how you design the project. Yeah, and I recommend for our listeners out there to uh, to go on Boil the Frog uh, radio website and look at uh, Dr. Jerry Phillips uh, t- uh, describe how uh, Motorola influenced his research results uh, back in 1994. Well, I'd like to try to head in a little bit of a positive tone and try to help our listeners. You know, we always give them all the gloom and doom about this. And you're talking about the FCC has everyone on their board that is not qualified to make these kind of decisions. Should we be, you know, dismantling the the FCC and insisting that our legislators that we change that? Where do we really need to go to see something happen other than a handful of people talking about this? How can we make a change and and quickly? Because there's really not time to be testing this out for the next 10, 15 years to see what happens. Well, I totally agree with that. Unfortunately, the, the technology is developing so rapidly without much of a public response that it's going to be very difficult to put the genie back in the bottle. But the answer is uh, not a terribly satisfactory answer. We need to educate each other. We need to educate the public. And the public needs to demand of our legislators that things be done that would reduce exposure, that there be regulation, that the FCC consider all of the evidence, uh, that they implement regulations that protect human health rather than protect the economic industry, uh, interests of the industry. Uh, now, that's a long-term prospect, and the reality is the majority of the public think this is a far-left fringe uh, issue that has no scientific basis, and unfortunately, that is not the case. It was very interesting because there was a New York Times article a couple of weeks ago for which I was interviewed that that uh, reviewed what had happened in the last 25 years, uh, focused primarily around power lines. And and the uh, the answer is not very much has happened, uh, that we still have uh, strong evidence for harm. We have little that's developed that... Uh, uh, has done anything to reduce exposure. Uh, we still run power lines right close to people's homes that result in elevated magnetic field. And one of the responses in the letter to editor uh, accused me of being a fringe scientist that was affiliated with the Bioinitiative Report. I took that as a compliment. But the, the reality is we cannot have this issue be just a fringe issue. It's an issue that affects everybody. Uh, it affects our children, our children in schools. It affects their likelihood of growing up without developing a brain cancer or developing leukemia or developing infertility or uh, developing the syndrome of electrohypersensitivity, which can be very disabling. And so uh, when the public demands action, you get action. But if the public is blasé about it and doesn't demand of our politicians, they're going to be influenced by the money that comes from the industry that opposes any kind of cautionary note on on uh, 
uh, biological effects from exposure to electromagnetic fields. Yeah, and I think really that the main problem is the, the public is unaware that there is a problem, so they're not going to demand something that they have no idea they should be demanding. As well as the addiction factor. I was in the doctor's office with my mom yesterday. People were coming out of the radiology department. They just had a chest x-ray or whatever they just had. The first thing they did as they let them out, they reached in their pant pocket or they reached in their purse or in their bra, <laughs> pulled out their cell phone and just frantically yep. checked it. Was somebody texting me while I had that 30-second x-ray? The addiction factor is, is a problem because how are you going to get it out of schools if you go home and as soon as your mom picks you up, she's all into the cell phone in the car. So when you talk about educating, I think we need to let people understand that, yes, they are addicted to their technology and their toys just as they were addicted to cigarettes. No, that, that's absolutely right. And the, the audience that I'm most concerned about, that's the most difficult to reach, are the kids, the under 20-year-olds, because they've grown up with this technology. They think it's cool. It's everyone does it. For the most part, first of all, everyone when they're that age thinks they're immortal and they're going to live forever. Uh, and they are not taking any precaution. Uh, they're going to suffer the consequences as they grow older. They just don't don't listen to the evidence that we have. Well, yeah, and I think warnings on packaging would just be really big. I, I, and obviously the industry knows that because they spend millions in court preventing right. that from being put on the packaging. So uh, obviously people just, they just have no idea, and it seems to be by design because they're spending money in court keeping them ignorant. So how do we go about uh, to getting people informed? Is it going to happen in court? Well, I think uh, there, there certainly is a role for litigation in, in almost any issue of environmental exposure. Unfortunately, the experience to date in court has not been very, very good outcomes, mainly because, again, the industry comes in with hired experts that make a lot of money by saying there's no problem. And the the fact that federal agencies have, in general, not acknowledged the the issues. Uh, I've been involved in a number of court cases, and what they say, well, this exposure was in FCC guidelines. Uh, the National Cancer Institute doesn't say that these are terribly dangerous. The international agencies, ICNRP, which I won't try to remember what the abbreviations stand for, the World Health Organization, they haven't taken strong positions saying these are dangerous. Uh, and yet, things like the Interphone study, this multi-nation study sponsored by the cell phone company as well as the World Health Organization, write this big paper that basically says there's no problem, but then in the supplement that was only available online, they show everything that it, Dr. Hardell had shown, that if you use a cell phone for 10 years or more, you're at elevated risk for cancer, brain cancer, but only on the side of the head where you use your cell phone. That the risk goes up with the number of calls you make, the number of hours you spend on the phone, and yet they pass it off as not being proof. I, I don't understand it. I think there's a, a real problem there, but uh, we're going to f have, have difficulty for a long time in the face of... Uh, of the federal agencies and the international organizations not stepping up to the plate and acknowledging the, the degree of evidence that we have. The uh, president's 
uh, initiative on the smart grid does not say that it should be wireless. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say it should not be. And what's happened is a lot of that stimulus money has been used to promote the smart meters and other wireless devices. Uh, now, again, having a smart grid makes perfectly good sense if it is not wireless, if it does not increase exposure. And that can all be done through wired connections. So I just don't understand how any intelligent person that knows anything about the strength of the evidence can put their head in the sand and just uh, do nothing. Well, it's th thanks to your voice and, and your colleagues that uh, people even have a chance of discovering the truth. So uh, you you really are a pioneer with this, and, and I thank you for your, your continued efforts. Well, I appreciate that. I think uh, it's just unfortunate that not everybody has the same understanding of how important this issue is. Now, is there any place our listeners can find out more about you that you'd like to share? Well, uh, I have a website. It has a lot of EMS information on it. It's www.albany.edu slash IHE for Institute for Health and the Environment. Certainly, the Bioinitiative Report has continued new information. There's the 2012 report there. There's some new analyses, and that's www.bioinitiative.org. And I'm always available when I'm, uh, in, to the extent that I have time, to answer people's questions and comments. We want to thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our listeners. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, and best of luck to both of you. Thank you, David. You too. Thank you for joining us on Boil the Frog Slowly Radio. Please come back next week. And for more information, go to the website, boilthefrogradio.com. And until next week, remember to practice safe phone. Boil the frog slowly, you're a frog in a pot. Turn up the heat and things will get hot. Will you jump out or will you burn? Listen to the show and you will return to...